Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. Whisks it away underneath and kicks to full forward. King's got two to beat. Broad dropped the mark. Long ran interference. He's got it. He hand passes to the square and McKenzie will soccer it through for a goal. High ball inside the 50. It pitches and runs and Woods onto it. He prods the kick into the pocket and King takes the mark. Right forward pocket, tight angle. Max King trying to thread it through. He has. It got through to King. He got the handball out and Woods should go and does. They've given away a 27-point head start. Dustin Martin starts the salvage mission. Boundary throw in it. Cleared. Coleman Jones fell for Dunstan. Flying snap for goal is good. It's real good. It's come off the right boot. And it's gone through the middle for the Saints' sixth goal. Stutters through the 50, plants his foot and plants the flag for the Tigers from here. It's their second goal of the night. It's come 13 minutes into this third quarter. St Kilda redeem a few sins with a thumping Friday night victory over Richmond, whose position is further imperiled. It feels like a ruinous defeat. The Saints by 40. I'd like to think we're a proud footy club and we don't let people down too often, don't let our fans down. But, you know, I thought tonight we just couldn't, didn't fire a shot. Um, it was incredibly disappointing. You know, generally we, we look and we, we surge at some stage, but we never felt that probably happened at any stage tonight. You know, a lot of credit goes to the Saints. They played some really good footy, but you know, I was disappointed that at no stage we probably challenged the side that we, you know, we thought we could beat. A seismic event on Friday night footy <clears throat> as Richmond is held to historic lows. While champions are never easily dismissed, it takes either blind faith or a vivid imagination to see the Tigers winning a third successive premiership from here. I was extremely pleased um, for a lot of people for, for this win. You know, you, you come under scrutiny and, um, you know, they, as, as it was mentioned, um, and probably rightfully so, that, you know, our performance haven't been where we are, but us to get the win and do it the way we did but that's the challenge we need to maintain this and um, whether it's good enough to get in finals or not I'm not sure but we've got still a lot of hard work to be done. After a fortnight of turmoil St Kilda restores the faith and gives some purpose to its next couple of months. Dougal Howard was the general in defence and he joins us after a stirring win. Let's not gild the lily the coach the director of football the CEO the president we're all under pressure, and we need to be. It was normal until about Tuesday, 4.30, and then um, got a message saying get to the airport, pretty much. So we were playing around a golf, me and Harry Himmelberg and Matty Flynn, so um, that was pretty funny. I see it as a nine-week block to, to do my best. Um, the rest sort of 
in time um, looks after itself. We traded for him as to be a midfielder and um, at the moment uh, we're playing him at half-back. Ideally he, he gets a really good pre-season and uh, moves back into the midfield going forward. I'm really bullish on our list and, and where we can go in the next six years so yeah something as a leader I really want to drive and keep aspiring to, to try and win a flag. Patrick Cripps weds his career to Carlton, signing the long-term contract that makes him the centrepiece of the Blues' eternal quest and a moment of reckoning for Gold Coast in Tasmania as the doubts start to creep. This is the Round 15 edition of Crunch Time. Right across the football world, participant and observer alike are trying to process what happened last night. The end of days, the fall of an empire. We're in good hands to try to take on that task on Crunch Time today. Jared Waitley with you. Justin Lepich is with me. Good morning, Jared. Now, since you left, Lepper. Yes. <laughs> since you left. What the hell was last night? Jeez, that was different, wasn't it? Um We've seen a couple of different things from Richmond this year, not just from a game-styling perspective. There have been a couple of changes from that, but just that, that, uh, the emotional side of the game. That was one loss that they don't usually have. We don't see them often get overrun like they did against uh, the Eagles a few weeks ago with a, you know, a really healthy margin with eight minutes to go, get overrun. That's un-Richmond-like. And then a game like that, apart from round three every year, is very un-Richmond-like. So, yeah, it's, it, they've got a few concerns, haven't they? Just, and they don't have, haven't got the wins to bank to make these sort of mistakes. So how do you feel about their their quest today? Oh, well, they're going to have to do it from the bottom half of the eight, and that's going to be more difficult. Uh, I, I still think their best team's pretty good. And and then we just, not only the bad loss, but when you lose Noah Bolter and then Nathan Broad, two mainstays out of your group, probably for the next, for the, well, definitely um, Noah potentially for the whole year, but Broad potentially for the home and away season as well. It, it just adds another layer, and it's more young kids... We spoke about the depth they don't have now with the guys on the other side of the field, Butler and Higgins playing for the opposition, guys they'd probably want to be playing right now. So they're, they're, they're falling to you know first-year rookies like Samson Ryan and guys like that. So they're really lacking depth. So I'm, I'm concerned that they're going to bank the wins. Um, that, that's a real genuine concern. The checklist for Richmond that every team's been building and Craig Jennings has been compiling it. Welcome, Jeno. Good to be here, Jared. Lepper, you'll know this as well as anybody, there's a cycle to football and every team in the competition watches the Thursday night and the Friday night game. And sometimes you can win a game of football without even playing. And that's what I saw last night where there's seven other teams in the eight that feel like they've just got a four-point buffer on Richmond. And more than that, they're not, a, they're not invincible anymore. So teams go up against them in regards to the checklist that we've spoke about, Jared. And none more so last night that the thing that really went against Richmond for me is the Nan Curvis role. So we've spoke about previously that he gets back. It's not just the ruck stuff. And clearly and Ryder and Marshall are so critical to St Kilda. But in terms of Nan Curvis... Outside of the ruck, it's the stuff he does behind the ball. He's just such a big body. And we saw Brisbane earlier in the season where they bodied up on on Nan Curvis when he went into the Brisbane forward line and, and they just Brisbane just cut him out, kicked to the pocket and avoided him and really took him out of the game. And, you know, no Nan Curvis is a real challenge for Richmond, I think. And Sam Edmonds done his civic duty. He's finished his his vaccination course, and he is crook. Sam, welcome to Crunch Time. We're hanging tough, Jared. Great to be here. Nearly as crook as the poor old Tigers. 2-10-22. So we run the rule over that. Lowest score since 61. Lowest score at the MCG since the 1920s, and their sixth lowest score in their entire history. 
And then you look at the Saints, beaten by the reigning wooden spooners before the bye, and they smashed the reigning Premier after the bye. What happened in those two weeks, Jared? Maybe some of the conversations that have been a bit lacking have been had, and we got a, a little taste of what they might look like. Dude, I don't think anyone could have tipped this, could they? No one could have tipped this. For, uh, maybe an anomaly for both clubs. I mean, an, certainly an anomaly for the Saints. Maybe not an anomaly for the Tigers. I just wonder if we're just about ready to put the line through them as so many of us have been reluctant to do, Jerry. So what's the toll? Because this plays as big a role as, as the loss. Well, potentially significant. Now, we're waiting on confirmation of this, but Noah Bolter obviously staring down the barrel of 12 months out of the game with a suspected ACL after his right knee was twisted in that third quarter tackle from Josh Battle. Now, I don't... I mean, coaches and clubs rarely go down that diagnosis path, do they? Like Damien Harwick did last night, unless they're almost certain of it. So it would take something extraordinary for Noah Bolter to dodge a bullet. But while there's hope, there's hope. And then there's Nathan Broad with a suspected syndesmosis injury that he copped early in the game. So you could be missing two key defenders now for the remainder of the season. For the Saints, uh, Nick Caulfield has a hamstring. Going to miss a couple of weeks. Jack Billings are laid out with knee soreness. They think he'll be right. His plan of flash fascia's calmed down a bit, helped by the buy, of course. So he tweaked that in the warm-up, but they think he'll be okay for next week. But all the concern at Punt Road. So those fresh injuries, so Bolter mm. and Broad, which was uh, which was on your patch down in defence. Yeah, and it's going to be hard to replace those two players, um, very important players and mainstays. I guess Asprey is in line to come back yep. next week, so that potentially fixes the Noel Bolter uh, issue. Um, given they're very similar as a, as a like-for-like. Like. But Broad's an important player. He's the balancer down there. He's the one that's the gap between Bashahooli and um, David Asprey. He's the one that can play higher on a taller player. Like if Charlie Cameron goes up, oh, he can go get him for a bit. That means Charlie Cameron doesn't run back with uh, Jaden Short and have a one-on-one battle with a smaller player on a goal line. So he, he's a real important player for them in their mix to make sure the talls play on the talls and the smalls play on the smalls. So it, it is an underrated role, and a lot of people probably don't see it out there, but he's an important player for them. Were you in charge of team defence, Leper? Or just yes, a, yeah, yeah, yeah so, full grounder, yeah. So I was really interested to ask you that um, for the first time when I'm watching Richmond, they're getting outnumbered in their D50 and opposition are getting easy goal line goals or at least good looks at them. And do you see that um, on the back six or is it more that it feels like there's a lack of forward 50 pressure, the thing that Richmond were really renowned for that I know that you had a big part in, in um, playing early days? Yeah, I guess teams like St Kilda and Brisbane do this pretty well too. They, they really run forward hard and try and outnumber. One thing Richmond do really well is get that extra number behind the ball generally, um, whether it's a winger sliding back or someone dropping from a stoppage situation. Um, but the teams that do it well actually even up really quickly. And often they've used it at Ruckman to do that at times as well, run forward hard to make sure that Richmond don't have outnumber behind the ball. And they did that really well last night. St Kilda, you never... Saw the Richmond defence. They looked panicky most yeah. of the night, um, and they just never got the game on their terms. So it was a, there wasn't many parts of the Richmond game you could walk away with saying, "Gee, that was good." The forwards struggled. The, the, the midfield were outplayed around the contest. They looked a little bit argumentative at times. Like yeah. Trent looked a bit. You normally see Trent Cochin, he's smiling a lot on the footy field, or you see him as that type of leader. He looked a bit agitated at times. So. Yeah, a lot, a lot didn't go right for him. Yeah, Jared, we talk a lot about the look of the game and, and very rarely in that game last night did it look like the Richmond we know in terms of that surge and momentum with the footy. But when they did and they got an opportunity to go inside 50, it was really rare because they fumbled the footy or they just miskicked and it's just so un-Richmond-like last night. 
Yeah, there was moments where three or four players almost ran into each other, which, again, normally one thing Richmond are really good at with their handball game is identifying who has the ball and who to release to, and, and they almost do it perfectly, and they weave through traffic really well. There was moments where they were bumping into each other. Again, there were little things like that that were very un-Richmond-like, um, and it almost, it's almost like a lack of communication or a lack of understanding, one of the two. So, yeah, that's why their offensive game didn't look like it flowed either. So, yeah, there wasn't many parts of their game. They go, when you're kicking two goals, nothing really works, really. So, um, yeah, there's a there'd be a lot of concern for Damien. And then now with the injuries, you've got to bring in more younger talent that isn't, you know, 100% understanding of what's going on. You might understand it in the classroom, but you haven't practised it enough to be good enough to do it at this level. So they have got some concerns. So how much owes to the intangibles, to hunger and commitment and the cumulative toll of, of being the team over a, a four- to five-year period? Probably about half that team might feel like. You think the other half of the team probably haven't had you know, the, the, the triple premiership um, journey like a lot of them have. So, But some, yeah, it's genuine. For, for the guys that are over 30 that have filled their boots, that's when it tends to come in. Now, I'm not saying any one of those guys have got that, but that's when it tends to come in. And then the the motivation of this, we're, we're here for something. You know, there's a goal at the end of the season. There's a prize. The minute that gets too far away is when you tend to see it. So what we're questioning now, is it now a bridge too far and will we now see a drop in emotion from those guys that have been to the top so many times because there's they're an interesting study if you take all the emotion and respect out of it because they cast a big shadow and you just boil it down to the facts they're, they're one and six against their fellow top eight teams and they've had a short breaking point in some of those games sydney broke them really quickly geelong broke them really quickly and they, their one win was against the Bulldogs where uh, they were outplayed for a half and then turned into stirring second half. And then the teams just behind them, the Giants, they had to come from behind in the last quarter. It was a heroic effort. Essendon headed them in the last quarter before getting blown off the park and now St Kilda have beaten them handsomely. If you, if you said this wasn't a three-time premiership team and you just lined them up, you go, this is clearly the most vulnerable team in the eight. Yeah, that's right. You'd just be sitting there saying they're a mid-pack team. Um, but they've just built up too, many, too much trust mm. in us and too many tickets. So that's why we, we, we think a little bit differently. I think we also appreciate they've had a – I mean, a lot of teams have injuries. So that's – and St Kilda have had injuries as well. But they've had interesting injuries to key players that are – particularly through their midfield that they need continuity with and they haven't been able to get that. So, But I think this year more than any, they've, they've, they couldn't afford injuries, I think, just given the depth of the list is – gotten a little bit thinner with every year, with every Jack Higgins that's left, with every Dan Buller. It just has gotten thinner and thinner and younger and younger. So um, it's, they need their best team out there. Leopard, the thing that stood out for me on your points, just going back a little bit there, is that for, for years and years, if you get three goals ahead of Richmond or you kick three goals against them, in terms of the look of the game, you know Richmond are now coming at that next centre bounce and they really lock in. And St Kilda get that three-goal margin early in the second quarter. So I'm waiting for the, the look of the game to change and then St Kilda go on and kick the next two goals. So that was a, a, a real uh, red flag for me that Richmond, in terms of that hunger or whatever it is, uh, it's just missing a little bit for them at the moment. How did you see that last night compared to you know, what you witnessed when you were coaching there? Yeah, when it was their turn, they didn't maximise their turn or really give a lot of – it might have been, you know, one one sort of passage um, and that's it. It's like, oh, that's a really good passage of play. And then we go, oh, this is where they'll turn the tables a little bit and it just didn't happen again. It just sort of – the game then plateaued for a bit then St Kilda got momentum back again. And as you mentioned before, the times they did get opportunities, they didn't flow very well with the ball and then missed opportunities. So it's like, oh – 
you know, you sort of left a bit empty. Like, oh, this isn't this isn't Richmond. This is normally this is just like we're waiting for that just the bang, 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 just the three punch in five minutes yeah. just to get the game back on terms. But it just never happened. On your point, Jared, about dealing with the facts, watching last night, um, we're ten minutes into the third quarter. All ten minutes of game time has gone, and Richmond have got two goals on the board. And they need to make up another, effectively kick another six goals for the game in the next 39 minutes to win. If it was any other team, you're pretty much turning off the TV or just saying St Kilda have got it, have got this game won. But because it's Richmond, you're sort of hanging in there and waiting it for it to turn. But the reality is when you've kicked two goals in 70 minutes and you need another six in the next 39, you're really going to win that game. Gee, the Saints put a big emphasis, don't they, on their two ruckmen. That they're a, they have told the world they're a far different team. When Marshall and Ryder play together, it was the first time they had come out together against Richmond. And I know clearances aren't everything at punt row, but what about the discrepancy there? So 42-23 and contestable, the Saints won by 22. So they, they got the first look, but as we haven't seen with St Kilda throughout the course of the year and even going back further, that is they were efficient with it as well, weren't they? Efficient inside 50 and they, and they put some scoreboard pressure on early. Yeah, watching the game last night with a, a group of friends, and they said, "How can St Kilda win this?" I said, "Well, there's only really two things they can do. They could got to win clearance and score from clearance, because that's 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 going to be the one stat that's always going to be in their mm. favour." And they did that, which was really good. But we didn't get the punch back the other way. Like all the other parts of the game, they beat them at as well, which was quite odd. You know, just or really stifled. They managed the turnover game, so St Kilda didn't dominate the turnover game either. But what they, yeah, you try and manage the strengths of the opposition, exploit your own, and, that, and that's the two things you should go into in every game. And they did just did that perfectly they said well we won't we won't make this a ping pong game we'll just make it this sort of game and i just love that you know kudos to st kilda to do that it's as it's as it's as thorough a performance i've seen from st kilda this year normally they are very a bit flighty um and they can just let things slip throughout games and have bad quarters and bad moments and bad red time but they didn't they were just really workmanlike so um it's a really good good effort from them the interesting point about Paddy Ryder, Sam, having worked with him at Essendon, is he's one of those great players to have in your environment. So he's a real practical joker. So mm. not only can he perform on field, but he makes other players around him feel better when they go out and play. So I'm sure that that's part of the factor that when they play, you know, everybody feels better about the game and, and what's about to unfold. And that mm. creates confidence and belief. Luke Dunstan, best on ground as well, yeah. Jeremy. I mean, he, he was mm. made to wait. I mean, until round 11, I think, to, to come back in. And since he's come back in, he's been steady. He's been consistent. He's done a job. He did another one. He played on Dustin Martin last night. But 32, 11 clearances and a goal. Uh, you, felt, you found yourself looking at the television saying, where has this been from him and, and the side? And Jack Steele, excellent, really embraced the captaincy when, when Jaron Geary's missed so much footy as well. Why did Richmond pick Samson Ryan, do you think? I'm not there, Jared. <laughs> it's an interesting call, isn't it? Did they need another tall? I mean, I don't know the kid at all. He was drafted last season, so and, uh, and less about the personality and more about the the player, the 204 yeah. centimetre ruckman on a wet night yeah. when Coleman Jones and Charles seemed like all you needed. Yeah, it was an interesting um, selection from a from a match committee perspective, but it, it, it clearly didn't work. He's joined the Jonathan Brown Club of the Zero Disposals <laughs> on debut. So it's an illustrious club, though. <laughs> if he follows in the footsteps of he, Cade Simpson, and the like, yeah, he'll be all right. That's exactly. Yeah, it was a difficult night for a you know 205 centimetre um, ruckman to make a debut and playing a bit of forward, a bit everywhere. So yeah, it was a it was an odd odd decision when you needed probably ground level types.
mentioned Jack Higgins there. I don't know if I'm imagining this, Jared, but did Richmond players give him a wide berth at the end, post-match handshake? I thought, am I imagining Ooh. this? I went onto Twitter and had a look, and not that this is everything, but plenty of other people willing to, to cast their judgment on it as well, that perhaps a, a few had given him the wide berth deliberately, and those that did shake his hand, some sort of wet lettuce stuff coming back the other way there. So that was somewhat surprising. But I thought there's an element of a player code when it comes to player movement, and Players move everywhere, and the players want more movement. So that that sort of caught the eye as well, Lepper. That mm, one. Okay. Maybe yeah. there were some things said throughout the game that we don't maybe, know. Yeah, maybe. Cause a bit of a stir. Well, uh, you uh, tend to get over it, don't you, over the yeah. long period of time? Maybe more that than that perhaps he changed clubs, is, is yeah. what many people were alluding to. All right. Dougal Howard is going to join us shortly. He was superb. For... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. St Kilda last night, he was in our votes, cast by Jordan Lewis. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. The Saints rather stunningly last night by 40 points over Richmond. One of the centrepieces of it was Dougal Howard. He joins us on Crunch Time. Dougal, welcome. Thanks, Jared. How are you going? Oh, I'm well. What do you make of that? If we told you driving to the ground last night, and by the way, you're going to keep him to two goals and win by 40, you'd have said I was mad, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, well, I guess it was, it was a bit of a surprise. And, um, well, not a surprise. I, I guess we know what, what we're capable of and... And uh, we know we can play that that footy. It's just uh, it's stringing together, and uh, yeah, it was, it was very pleasing to put it together as we did last night. How proud an achievement is it for a defence to keep the the three time premiership side to two goals? Yeah, certainly, certainly nice. Um, bit of, bit of help from up the field last night, and our boys in the midfield are getting on top, which which makes our life pretty easy. And um, yeah, certainly to keep them to two goals. Um, yeah, they're missing. Obviously, Lynch is pretty pretty key in that uh, in that forward line. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely um, one that as a back line we're very happy with. Here we go. Dougal, Sam Edmund here. Thanks for your time this morning. I just wanted to ask you, we were talking about this earlier, obviously beaten by the reigning wooden spooners before the bye in Adelaide, a disastrous loss up in Cairns, and then you smashed the reigning premier after the bye. What did you do in the week off, if you can go back to a point or a series of points that perhaps you can point to in the aftermath of this win? Um, I don't think it's one point. I think, obviously, it's been pretty... It's been a bit disappointing um, some of our performances this year and, and um, how inconsistent it's been. And that's what we've um, spoke about, I guess, quite a bit in the last couple of weeks about building consistency and um, where we want to go as a group. So, look, we've uh, yeah definitely had some uh, some challenging conversations and um, and yeah, I guess some what reviewed the Adelaide game pretty hard and um, yeah, certainly have found some, some cracks in our game and um, have uh, worked worked towards fixing them in the last couple of weeks and, and last night was uh, a step in the right direction. Dougal, Craig Jennings here. Congratulations on your game and the team's win last night. Um, 
I'm really interested when I watch St Kilda win, lose or draw. I always think that they go in with really good strategies for taking the strengths away from the opposition or trying to exploit their weaknesses. Can you take us into the, the room's pre-game in, into your last meeting? And, you know, what was number one and two on your checklist for beating Richmond last night? Um, I think, uh, well, for us, it was obviously stopping stopping their, their ball movement. And uh, as we've seen in the last four or five years, when they get that going and um, sort of they, they really run in waves. And um, I think that was that was a key part of it. Um, taking away from taking that away from them, um, and on top of that, I guess we all, as players, committed to um, playing to our strengths a bit, and um, everyone playing their their role for the team. So that was, I guess, part of our still focusing on um, us quite a bit. But yeah, certainly when when looking at them, um, that was one of the main things um, we thought we should we should take away from them. A great win last night. Um, geez, we just can't help but to think the last couple of games, you know, the, the, just a couple of the missed opportunities. I know the media's been piling on. Um, everyone's having a, having a crack at the club. But you go back to the Adelaide and Sydney wins, those two tick those couple of boxes. You're sitting inside the eight. Do, do the club feel like finals are not just a possibility but to, to make an impact this year? Because us in the outside are probably thinking that the season's done, but a performance like that sh- surely turns around the emotion of not only the, the people from the outside but you and the inside. Yeah, look, it's going to give the boys a lot of confidence, and um, and who who knows what could happen. We, to be honest, we haven't really spoke about finals um, because of the way things have been going, and um, it, yeah, it's it hasn't probably been high on our radar. It's just been about um, building our our consistent performances, and, and yeah, as you said, the, the Sydney and Adelaide ones are look they could hurt us later in the year, which is, is going to be it's going to be hard to swallow, and um, yeah, it's. It's it's that those sort of games that you just can't let slip at the moment because it's such a tight competition and um, yeah, we've just we've just got to be better in those close ones and and get over the line in them. Do you, sorry, mate. Just just to finish off on that, just as a club, like one thing we see when we watch the Saints play, there's a few different styles that we see. We see the hard inside work that we saw last night. We see the fast-running small forwards that can, can dominate as well. As a club, how would you describe yourself to your fans? You can sort of see how Richmond play, and everyone has a style. With St Kilda, we're still sort of not sure exactly what you are as a personality. How would you describe your style and, and what you're all working to achieve? Um, it's a tough one. I think, yeah, I think, as you said, we, we've got um, a lot of different strengths, which is... Um, which is really good for us. Obviously, yeah, we, we've got some um, some balls in the midfield and then speed both in the back and and forward half. And it's a tough one to pinpoint of the, um, I guess, style we want to play. And, and we'll, we'll, as a group, we want to we want guys to play to their strengths, and, and that's part of it. And I guess, yeah, this year there's probably been a lot of yeah differences week to week, whether we're our, if we're getting our ball movement going or we're not or, or we're getting beaten inside and all that sort of stuff. So, um, it's yeah, I don't have a word to actually describe what um, what our game style is, but I, I reckon we're, we're a pretty dy- dynamic outfit and I think when we can uh, string it together, we can uh, match it with anyone. Dougal, this is testing my memory a little bit, but I've got a feeling you captained Port Adelaide for one game. Am I right in that? Yeah, yeah, I um, we're a bit depleted, and uh, look, they 
scraping the bottom, bottom of the barrel when, uh, when I got the captaincy. <laughs> so what that does lead me to is you're in the leadership group at St Kilda in a, in a very short time. So clearly you've got very strong leadership traits. So I was, I was really curious and interested in uh, external to the football club, which leaders do you learn from? Are there books or movies, TVs? Um, whatever the case may be, that um, you know you look to to develop your own leadership skills. Uh, no, there's nothing like that. Just probably lucky with the, the support I had growing up from parents and and family, friends around me, and then also um, at, at Port had some uh, some very good good leaders there in my early years, and um, like good mates in in Tom Jonas and Hamish Hartlett. There sort of took me under the wing early in my time at Port and um, and then also, yeah, the coaches we we had um, did a lot of work with um, Chad Corns, Nathan Bassett there, so, so they were also big parts of it in, in my early career and sort of um, yeah, I guess most of it tried to build myself to this point as well since being um, at the Saints and um, yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a new leadership group this year and I think um, we've sort of, we've got a good group, group there now, we can uh, take board for a couple of years. Well, Duga, well done on last night, and thanks for joining us today. No worries. Thanks for having some, guys. Dougal Howard with us on Crunch Time. So the last piece of St Kilda is what to do with that. Yeah. Because the president's already written to the members, and they go up on 2021. This was never our year. It was always about opening it up next year. The review has begun bridging the gap. Not only are they not where they expected to be, but they're a long way off. I'm really interested in what this it's does to the why, internal thinking. Yeah, it's probably why Dougal can't answer the question either, is because, yeah, you're right, but from the outside, yeah, this is our year, this is not our year, we're a fast-moving team. And then a night like not last night, I just sit there and go, that is you, St Kilda. That, you are workmanlike. You are coal miners. You're like a big, hearty stew. Yeah, that is what you are. Don't don't go one week, oh, we're fast-paced, blitzkrieg team, and then the next week we're – that. I think that's what they are. So I, I really was excited by that. I think that's what a good solid finals team can do. Now, that's a different style of footy. You probably have to score a little bit more to be to be great. But it's a good starting point. I'd rather that than flashes of Brad Hill to the side and the odd little bit of that as opposed to brilliance, 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 poor, poor, poor. That was a really solid game. And I really think that they've just sort of discovered what they are. <laughs> it, it is interesting. Yes. Like they, they just figured out, okay, we're nowhere. Mm. And now you get that result. They do have... They've got five of their last eight against teams in the eight. Mm. So they're going to accumulate a big body of evidence in the last nine games as to where they sit to um, to get their decision-making. But yeah. a lot of their decision-making has been around change that is – they're forecasting change at the end already. Yeah. I feel like bridging the gap was really good language in terms of a review. So it feels like that there's parts there that are working well – so to get to where we want to get to, we've just got to fill some gaps there. And you compare that to Carlton, which feels like, can start feeling like full-blown crisis when you're talking about getting external people into review. So on your point, Leper, it does save their season a little bit. that They might stumble on another win here or there in the next few weeks, and then it's game on for the finals. We'll see. Richmond whacked last night. Geelong belted the night before, so the two grand finalists had poor round 15, so we'll explore what that meant for the Lions next. You're listening to Crunch Time. For the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships, they stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken available at selected restaurants. I think it was important for us to try and start to win against those other top four sides. I mean, we haven't been able to do that at all this season yet, so... 
uh, it's always better as you're going into the latter end of the year to to record those sorts of victories if you can. So, um, yeah, pleasing. There's a fair bit that we'll think about because it didn't really look like us in a lot of areas. Um, but the opposition were really strong too. Um, and, and we knew that, that they'd be really good. But I think in the context of the season for us, yeah, at first blush, the takeaway for me is we've got a bit to work on. We shouldn't gloss over it. But we also shouldn't drop our bundle. We're in a pretty good position. Um, have played much, much better than that. and confident we'll play much better than that. Chris Scott and Chris Fagan on the 44-point win of the Lions on Thursday night. There, was, there were a lot of elements to it. One was thundrously good TV ratings because, Sam Edmund, we love Thursday night footy. And we love it at 7.32pm if you're in Queensland. Of course, Channel 7 in Queensland, Jared, we spoke about it last week, wanted to show it on their primary channel, which was a fantastic result. They had to get home and away in first, but... That decision completely vindicated by the ratings because 107,000 local viewers tuned in. The biggest number for a Lions home and away match since Brisbane played Carlton when Brendan Favola played against his former club way back in 2010. And it attracted 1.8 million viewers around the country on Thursday night, according to uh, 7's official rating. So it's a runaway success. We know that. Just make it happen every week. Every week. Just, let's just settle in, Has in to as be. a permanent fixture. Indeed. So, and we'll get to this week's all, round 16's fixture in a moment, because doing it on the run, while it's necessary, at the moment we're wrestling with sides who are travelling or four-day breaks, there's only a small window of possibles when it comes to Thursday night on the run. But yep. lock it in at the start of the season. Everyone's happy. So we saw Brisbane's best. Mm. That much was really clear, Lepper. One thing, I, we just touched on St Kilda. I think Brisbane's the sort of team they should be looking up to as far as a Coal game. Coal Well, the Brisbane are. like Even if you look at some of their recruits and names like Robertson, Robertson Starsevich, Payne, um, even a, a Mitch Robinson style of play, you know, like they're, they're, I think I see St Kilda's talent coming through and the styles they've got. They're very similar like that. And what you wouldn't say they... they they're going to give you the highlights of Shea Bolton or anything like that, but they're, they're just consistent. They don't lose contests. You saw one where Robertson threw Joel Selwood out of the way, mm. like a second-year player, threw Joel Selwood out of the way and make the ball. Like, you know, they're the sorts of players they bring in. So I, I think they're really, uh, really strong on their style and they're obviously a terrific uh, contested team and they're, their front half of their grounds electric and um, that's the part of the game that lit it up on the on Thursday night. I do enjoy this conversation around coal miners. I'm from the home <laughs> of coal in Terrelgan and a lot of hard workers and grits. I can start imagining and visualising what yeah. you're talking about there, Leper, but... I've, I've only ever seen Zoolander, so that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's my whole, <laughs> whole coal, coal miner life. What I did love about Brisbane, you talked about the contest, and sometimes it's not about the contested possession count. So for me, it's about how many contests you win that you can create a score from. So sometimes you can easily win the contest count by putting more players around the footy. You win it, but then you kick it into an outnumbered forward line. So what I liked with Brisbane on the weekend, or, or sorry, on Thursday night, is when they lost the contest, they were able to defend it. So regardless of the contest count, when they won it, they created a score. And when they lost it, they were able to defend it. And they Mm. defended it with really strong tackling. And a Geelong strength going into the game is the way that they can take on a tackle and get through the front of it and create a score. So I thought really early in the game, Zorko and McStay in the first minute or two laid really big Mm. tackles that usually you expect Geelong to break 
and get through the other way. It's one I lost with the tackling pressure, wasn't it, Leper, for mine. I mean, as that was a clear trait in their recent games, is that the Mark Blitzars of the world and the bigger bodies would just step through those tackles, a handball out the back, and they'd be away. But that didn't happen on Thursday. Yeah, they got both parts of their defence. The, the, the at-ball defence was what you're talking about, yeah. the tackle pressure and the, the intensity. And then their full-ground defence was elite. They, you know, they, they really took away, blunted any of Geelong's ability to transition the ball from the back half. Their, their ability to work together as a slow defensive group was good, forced Geelong backwards a lot, backwards a lot, and then eventually often caused stoppages and they retreated. So I thought they, they strategically did some things really well. Geelong didn't have the ability to sort of carry the ball through the middle of the ground like they, they did in their good games against Richmond and so forth. You can you picture them running through the middle of the ground, carrying and linking up. They didn't couldn't do any of that um, on Thursday night. So Brisbane's total defensive game was brilliant. Yeah, and I love the way what we know about Geelong is often they dictate the look of the game and they, uh, you know, when they get behind on the scoreboard, they can change things up. And it was like Brisbane at half time. They'd learnt from the Melbourne game when they were three or four goals up against Melbourne and then Melbourne came out with brute force and really ran over the top of Brisbane quite comfortably. But it was like in the start of that second half when I'm looking for Geelong to, to come back, uh, Brisbane just really held firm and just didn't let them have anything. And if Samson Ryan was a curious selection for Richmond, Quentin Narkel's non-selection continues to be curious for Geelong. He was a medical sub again. What we've seen, we've loved. The numbers have been amazing, but he can't get a game in that side, Jared. It's a, it's a puzzling one. He's out of contract at the end of the year again. So we, we watch this space. And Jordan Clark, who's been yep. sitting back in the VFL, in, got injured yesterday, a, a shoulder injury in, yep. the, in the VFL game. So um, that's an uncertain future for him as well. Um, the spite between the two teams? Yes. Really interesting. So it's hard to pick where this started. So it was it was really evident in round two, and it was, yep. oh, where the hell's this come from? Because there wasn't anything out of the preliminary final that hinted at things were completely off between these two teams. And then right from the start in round two, and then everyone played it down during the week, and, of course, they were at each other's throats. From the moment that it started on mm. Thursday night, it was captivating. I think, naturally, they're both combative teams, so that probably lends itself to that sort of thing anyway because, you know, they're both both teams sort of don't give an inch. It is interesting, though. I'm not sure how far it, it doesn't go back from the miracle on grass, does it? <laughs> it's not Ash McGrath's fault that it all this started. But um, you're right, round two was so intriguing. We, we, we didn't talk about that game enough, probably in the lead-in, but the, the Chris Scott <laughs> stare-down of yeah. leading, and then even the two coaches themselves having a crack before yeah. the game. So that does sit with you. You may not, you might say, yeah, yeah, it's all good, but deep down in inside you it's probably just a bubble waiting to burst at some point and it was yeah, it did it was definitely Cadinia Park early in the year with the with the the exchanges at the break between the Geelong coach and the Brisbane players and then the Geelong coach and the Brisbane coach surely it stems from that yeah so well, but it happened early in the game it was mm. there right through the first quarter which sparked quarter time so mm. it was there when O'Connor went to Lockie Neal and then Rowan Hooks, Neil. So that had all happened in the first quarter. It's just why it boiled up that night. Because yeah. it was really, it was so um, conf uh, confrontational right at the start. What's the history? But the history is now, yep. they feel it. There's some that's bubbling. all that matters. There's some bubbling the there. The two for, groups for feel it intensely. So I look straight to the coaches because really teams play in the manner of their coach and coaches control the psych of the game in a sense. So automatically, Leper, when you're talking about Fagan, I just start thinking to Hawthorne and the way that um, Geelong really dictated to Hawthorne for a long period of time. And um, so does that that come across when you go to, to Brisbane? Does he take some of that? And then it filters down through the playing group, the intensity of Fagan in these games against Geelong. 
Yeah, well, yeah, possibly. I mean, one thing we know about um, even Chris Fagan, as nice a guy he is <laughs> to the camera, you see the brutal nature in which he is on the on the sidelines and how competitive he is as a person. And we all know Chris Scott's highly competitive and always has been. So, yeah, so the, the, often your teams resemble um, the, the people in charge. But there were some interesting things there. Stewart on camera, and that was one yeah. interesting matchup for me that I, I just looked at and thought, wow, you've... A guy that just took what do you say, thirteen intercept marks maybe the week before was it some yeah. some ten off, 10 off yeah. it was off the charts anyway. You're not going to take many intercept marks when you're playing such a hard one on one role against a you know a guy you've just got to be you know it's like trying to catch a fly. He really you know the minute you think you got him they're, they're around you. So he, he had to spend a lot of his defensive tickets and concentration on not the ball fly coming into mm. market but on the guy that's whizzing around him. So I just thought it was interesting and in whether you'd go to a different matchup in hindsight or do they have. Geelong's defensive 50 grand ball's always been the one for me that's going to be their Achilles heel at the end of the day. If the ball hits the deck, they've got a very tall intercept marking defence. They don't have enough of those guys, the, the mop-up players at that part of the ground. So, And it was a sort of game where hit, the ball hit the deck a bit and they made a few mistakes. Yeah, I talk about, Tom, or we talk about this, Jared, on Thursday, Tom Stewart being the centre of gravity. So that was the thing that caught my eye game day as well, Leper. And it's not just that uh, Cameron was a handful for him, but... Tom Stewart, and there's other defenders in the game similar to him in terms of, I call them two-goal turnaround defenders. So on the one hand, they create an intercept, but then they score off the back of it. So he was so challenged by Cameron, he couldn't stop Cameron scoring in the one part of the game, but because he wasn't getting his hands on the ball as an intercept defender, he wasn't creating scores also for Geelong. So they're losing two goals each play effectively. And then you see the frustration, and then you see him throw Cameron to the ground, and then you start seeing some things that are outside his personality because his game it starts with unraveling with his game, but was the very, very, if you go back to the start, was it that matchup that sort of caused all that, you know, to slowly unfold to a point he got frustrated, gave away free kicks and that sort of thing. So interesting. And Joe Danaher fine for staging, the $1,000 yes. fine. Just who around the table feels strongly about this? Uh, I have a complete, well, I, probably about 10 years ago, there was a, I don't know if you remember, you know, there was a, a fine system, like a point system that used to be in, in the tribunal. So you used to get um, so many points, used to add up to a week over a course of time. I'm almost a believer instead of fining, you've got to have, whether it's 35 points, you know, so that's one. So it eventually is a week if you keep doing it. Um, I don't mind that concept because a small fine, I don't think, does anything. So And it's also not a report. So it's one of those things we want to get out of our game, but a, a small fine's not going to do it. So we have to find a different mechanism, I think, for the players to eventually go, geez, if I do this three times, I'm eventually going to be, I'm going to miss a week. Mm-hmm. So I've got to, I've really got to cut it out of my game. And the action itself, the staging? Oh, no, I don't like it. I don't, no, of course not. No one likes it. I mean, one thing we, we do as players is we, we've all done it and we've all tried to milk a free kick. So Have we seen um, worse, though? Yeah, we've seen worse. That wasn't as bad. No. As, I, as I've seen, because it wasn't any of the, the flailing of arms and things like that. He just went down oh, really, almost really surpri- easily. I, I like the fact he was fine, Jordan. The message yeah. it sent. I was almost surprised he was fine though, because as I said, they've been reluctant to do it. What would this be? Third, fourth, maybe in the history? Yeah, I think so. And I think we've seen far worse go through to the keeper. I think with Joey, he's one of the nicest people you could ever have at your footy club. So um, what it is is it's a wake up call for him. Just draw attention to it. So if you go back to his first goal, he gets a little bit of a nudge, not a lot in it, and he falls forward. And then about five minutes later, he launches at a ball and he falls forward in that one. So because he got a free kick to get his first goal, sometimes you can get just in that little bit of a habit or a bad habit in a sense. So just a little bit of a wake-up call for him not to to take that any further. So in the end, it's going to be a good result for everybody. It's a good call, but other than that, I'm really loving the way he's playing. You know, I love the role that Brisbane's putting him into. I didn't didn't anticipate him go up there and become sort of almost a ruck forward, not the Mm. other way around. And that's what he's almost becoming. Did you call him a 50-50? 
I, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 I would have thought he's going up there being the 100% forward and he's kicking Hipwood out. Um, so I've loved what they've done with him as a role. And I think he looks like he's enjoying it too. So The broader issues of the game shortly in the back half of the season. We're counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. And with monstrous upset last night at the MCG, monstrous upset through history, it's hard to go past the 99 preliminary final. This is uh, just an incredible comeback by the Carlton Football Club. They are into the grand final. Carlton, Carlton is into the grand final. Fraser Brown's tackle on Dean Wallace, which lives in many an imagination. Shiver up the spine, Jared. Gets me every time. What an amazing game that was. Furphy, unbelievable moments. Furphy, refreshing ale, unbelievable. The crunch coming up next. So... The six-year contract of Patrick Cripps, so he's wedded himself to Carlton. If he's going to have any success in his footy career, it will be with the Blues, and he is the centrepiece for it. If they lift the cup, it'll be him who's holding it during this era. Zach Williams, the coach, put it on him. Is There were coaches covering for players during the week. Not at Carlton, there wasn't. The Gold Coast, it's been a pretty ferocious week, and they go to play in Hobart against North Melbourne, the prospect of a loss to the bottom team. You can imagine what that does to the rest of the conversation. We'll kick all of that around in the crunch coming up on Crunch Time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. They stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. The round 15 edition of Crunch Time for the Werribee Western Auto Group. Make the smart move at Werribee Haval by test driving the new H6 St Kilda by 40 points over Richmond and the Lions by 44 points over the Cats in what we've seen so far. Robert Harvey starts his senior coaching career today. He's got nine games in charge of Collingwood beginning in the in the afternoon against Fremantle and the Gold Coast have headed to Hobart where they expect to be roundly booed by the locals who want their licence. Uh, they'll face North Melbourne and should they go under, a week of scrutiny will intensify yet again. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmonds. Justin Lepich and Craig Jennings with you as we gear up for a big day of footy for Dometic Fuel Your Adventure with Dometic's Outdoor Drinkware. The biggest news of yesterday was Patrick Cripps, who had said for months that he was going to recommit to Carlton. He recommitted in a way that I'm not sure had been totally forecast. Six years, Sam Edmund. It's a smoothing exercise, this, Jared. So smoothing the money out. So he's taking less per year, somewhere in the vicinity of $200,000 less than the contract he's currently on. So the money's about the same, whether it's four years or six years. He's attempting to smooth that out, which is, you know, at the benefit of Carlton, but it also speaks to the loyalty of Patrick Cripps, who now effectively, I think it would take him to 32. Safe to say, by that point, he's an unrestricted free agent. He plays his year out at Carlton. And he's always said, as you say, he loves the idea or the romanticism of where it starts is where it ends and you build with the team from the ground up. But unfortunately for him, it looks as far away as it's ever been at the moment. But it's pivotal in the sense that they've got some balls in the air next year as well. So Sam Walsh is out of contract next year. He'll probably command in the vicinity of, I don't know, seven to $800,000 a season next year. Harry Mackay out again in 2023 when he's a free agent. Uh, and then there's Adam Chera, who uh, has left that deal on the table from Fremantle, worth between seven and $750,000 a year at the Dockers over the course of uh, four years. So he's in the mix as well. So I think it makes it easier for Carlton, but um, it's a great result for them, great result for the captain, Patrick Cripps, who stays long-term. What do you think, Lepa? Oh, look, it's a great move. I think it's great to have. I mean, there's always been criticism around contracts and everyone's going to have their say on, on what happens. One thing you know about um, contracts is that there's obviously a few parts to it. There's the money, as you said, there's the terms, and then there's how you can fit it into your cap, which is probably mm. the most important part. Do your front end. Can you give yourself opportunities in future years? And if, if this is what it takes, if it takes six years to get all of those 
pieces of the puzzle um, working, that's a great result. But one thing people do is six years, some people will just harp on one particular component of it. But with all contracts, there's more to it than just the, the tenure that people have to realise that goes on in the background. Mm. So if it's going to be six years, his best footy has to be in front of him. So he's 26 years of age, he's played 131 games. So I'm in this camp. I know people think he's got miles on the clock and that he might be clapped out quickly. I'm not in that camp. But he does have to have his best footy ahead of him on a six-year deal. Yeah, I guess the one concern for me I have, like if you uh, fast forward Dustin Martin's, you know, last year or two of his uh, long-term contract, you could sit there and say he can still play forward. You know, if even if the midfield outgrows him and he can play another position, I, w- I worry what Patrick Cripps's other position is potentially in the you know the last one or two years of this contract. Can he, if he gets kicked out of the midfield or he starts to lose his form, can, can he play forward? Can he? We haven't really seen any other position. Like we've seen uh, a lot of other key forwards play other spots, whereas he's one that, that um, yeah. I don't know whether you think, Geno, is another spot you could put him if, if, if things don't work out in the midfield in the long term? Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. The irony is he's like a, a centre-half forward that plays midfield, so yep. maybe down the track he can you know play full forward, but he needs to work on his goal-kicking and his accuracy and all those sort of things. But it is a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of that um, at the moment there isn't a secondary position for him. There are interesting aspects to Carlton's build and the way that they've allocated their money and the fact that Cripps is sacrificing money before they've even had any success. So part of me feels like they are taking advantage of the players that they built with because they've already paid more money to McGovern, Martin, Williams and Saad and we know that in, at least in two instances, the players have, haven't have been as committed as they might have been for the money that has been paid. And they certainly haven't been as committed as Cripps has been along the way. So if if you're Paddy Cripps and you go, yeah, I'm happy to do this so that we have success. Hey, but by the way, the next person you shell the money out on, they better be all in. They better present at the club fit and ready to play the role that we've that we've had to, that we've uh, allocated for them. You want to hope that conversation's been had, wouldn't you? Because you're right, it doesn't make sense when you add all that together. You get the, the ring in, so to speak, come in and get more money than the guy that's been staunch by your side the, the whole way through. Um, so, yeah, the, the, I'm hoping they've had that conversation before. I know one thing that Richmond did really well is have those, when they recruit Tom Lynch, for instance, they speak to Jack Rewalt and they spoke to Trent and make sure they're all kind of happy if they're making any of those big money recruit decisions to come in. I think that's really important and incumbent to do that nowadays. You never have to do it in the past, but I think nowadays you have to do stuff like that. And what do they do come season's end, given their draft hand at the moment? They've got a first-round pick at six, then a pick at 25, then a pick at 61. Now, Adam Chera, if they are to chase him, will command a first-round pick. So then that's another another year where you sit out of the draft. They gave up for Adam Saad. I know Zach Williams is a free agent, but as, as has been among the chief concerns among the critics of Carlton's list builders, for a long time they were draft, 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 and they deviated from that and went to the trade and free agency market. Have they gone down that path too early, and do they need to go back to the draft now? The interesting part with Chera, so it's a straight equation, is is he better than pick six? So two years development, he's around pick six anyway, so you can make that work. Except if he costs you 750 grand as opposed to your number six pick who comes in on minimum wage, minimum wage. That's a big difference in the way that you put a list together. Well, I think Sam Petrovsky seat, and sorry, Geno, was, was a pick six. He might not be at the club come the end of the season. So there's obviously no guarantees. Lockie O'Brien's the other one who was another high pick, pick 10, I think. So both of those boys on the ad are probably unlikely to be at Carlton next year as well. So that, that all goes into the mix. I love where you're heading with the conversation, Jared. It's starting to feel like Michael Lewis and Moneyball. But you know, Leopard, this really affects your coaching, these type of decisions. And, you know, you touched on... 
Zach Williams. And it reminded me of a conversation uh, with Joel Corey that he was a midfielder and he said to me when he went to half back after a game, he felt like he hadn't even played a game. And that just says to me, Leopard, when you were talking about conversations that need to be had, if that if you recruit a player that is not a midfielder that you expect to play midfielder, they need to understand, one, the fitness requirements that you spoke about, Jared, but the intensity and the physicality of that role and the impact of that and how important your pre-season training is because playing midfield and half-back in terms of uh, how you recover from a game are completely different. And that's where the back office stuff's so important. You've got to know what you're getting. You can't just you have to say, well, he's a high rec- big tick, high recruit, looks like he's going to be a really good midfielder. But what if you've got three that are the same? Um, it's almost like the Nick Hine project that we're talking about, like the, the Saad versus Hine. This is this is a classic situation. You've got a, a, a one player costing in Saad, you know, a really high draft pick and a lot of money to go to one club, and you've replaced him with someone that's really cost you half the amount in draft pick and in capital. So... This is where clubs need to have a bit of a philosophy. Now, it doesn't have to be exactly exact, but you have to say we only pay four hundred and fifty grand for a halfback flanker. That, like you've got to have some sort of level. You can't otherwise you're going to have a you know nine hundred thousand dollar halfback flanker, and then you go, oh, she's only got three hundred grand for, for a gun midfielder. Well, we haven't got any money left, so you've got to have. And clubs have some sort of guide, so you just got to be really careful that you know, and also with your draft capital as well, because we want to use that pick on this guy who might be a. You know, there's a lot lot goes in the background, but you got to be really careful on what you spend your money on. And now we start talking about the development of players too, Jared. If you're talking about bringing in that number six pick in terms of your culture and the environment of your footy club but how the the VFL coach and your development coaches work with those young players so that they're ready to really impact at senior levels so it's never one thing in isolation football we talk about the balance of a game style but there's all balance in terms of your on-field and off-field stuff as well decision making I get footy inflation but where's the interim contract on Adam Chera I'm staggered by the money yeah. that's on offer to him in year three yeah. and beyond. I, yeah. There's there's surely a rite of passage where there's an interim contract of around 400. Become that player and then get the dollars. I think he's I, skipping steps yeah, and because he's in demand. I think, Jerry, one thing you got to do, if, if you're talking about a high draft pick, you know, and he's, he's a name and he might come back to Melbourne, just yep. if you're a Carlton supporter, whoever team's interested in him, just sit there and go, What's he going to bring to your team? If you can't name the three things he's going to bring to your team, which I can't with Chira, I'm going, well, he's a good mid, isn't he? He's a, he's a, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player, but he doesn't stand out even in the young Frio brigade, Brigade's mix of young kid mids. He's not. I would rank him maybe fourth in that little brigade, let alone mm. the fifth and, and that era. And this is the thing with Carlton. It's not money ball at all. In fact, it's the complete opposite of money ball. This is big, big money for, for Zach Williams, for, for Mitch McGovern, and to a lesser extent, Adam Saar. This is big money. And if it is to be Adam Chera on those terms, that's big money for, as you say, a player in terms of his step, his progression throughout his career. So it's, it's not money ball at all. Mm. It's, it's a it's, it's treasure outlay. So they abandoned the protectionism around Zach Williams this week and David Teague made it public. He's not as fit as he should be. We can't play him where we wanted to play him. The other side of that is he is exactly what Carlton bought. They had an idea in his mind that he was going to be more. So far, he is exactly what they bought. Can't play lengthy midfield periods just like he couldn't at his previous club. There was one or two games to suggest that he might have been able to on wet days. Can that change, though? Can that change, Lepper? It can change, but that's not what they bought. No. 
they bought exactly this, and now they're limit. They've got buyer's remorse. Mm. You know, we wanted him to be a bit more than that, despite all the evidence that said this is exactly what he is. And that's what you got to be. You've got to. You got to exactly what you said, Jared. You got to buy on what you see, not what you think you can do. Um, because yeah, you might be able to change it, but you can, you cannot do that. You have to say this is his role. This is why we think we can do it. Here's his running numbers. Here's his possession rate. This is what he's done, and this is what what we're definitely buying. We hoped he can change position and do this, but we know at least what we're going to get. To me, he's an emergency midfielder. So game day, he's yep. a halfback flanker, but you need to move the magnets a little bit, Lepper. Straying into your territory here a little, but you know, yep. you might be three goals down, or you just want some speed in the midfield and you put him in for a five or ten minute burst here or there. But to me, he's I've never thought of him as a midfielder, even when he played those few games heading into a grand final with GWS. I thought for that grand final, they should flick him back to the halfback because that's where you visualize him playing his best football. And Daniel Rich had a long time, you know, mid, forward, you know, and then eventually it was, you know, one thing they've done really well, the Lions the last four or five, you know, just put him to half, but it's where his running capacity suits, it gives him enough energy, he can, he can utilise his weapons with his legs, so now he's playing in a position, but Rich was one that everyone tried to make a midfielder for such a long period of time, and eventually he's like, oh, he just hasn't got his run up, but if, if he has a good pre-season and he gets his run up, well, he can play there, but... Just accept this is his best spot given the run he's got and the, the strengths he's got. Now he's a dominant player of the competition. Gold Coast spent the week having their worth in the competition assessed and their, their path through their years so far. Tony Cochran went to the barricades on Monday night on the couch. Sometimes that's necessary, and I thought he did that quite stirringly. There was no level of reassurance for Stuart Dew, I don't think. If he didn't realise he was on trial in the back half of this season, I think he would have in the aftermath of it. They're all totally supportive on them, but they wouldn't want to back out of the season one and ten. And the other, the only card he's misplayed, Tony, is he's he's drawn Gold Coast in comparison with Tasmania. I don't think he meant to do it, but they are losing that public battle. Is He is getting played by a Premier who knows oh, populist politics well. He used well. Parliament, yes. Peter Gutt. When he got up in Parliament and encouraged those going to the game this weekend to openly boo the president of the Gold Coast Suns, how many Premiers... Uh, has that ever happened before? No, it's masterful by Tassie oh. to seize on the villain. So they have no business going Tasmania and Gold Coast, and yet Tony Cochran's opened that door and they are straight through. Or did he ever? And he said, it's not normally my business to uh, criticise failed football clubs, but unbelievable from Peter Gutwin. I love it, though. Hey, it's put some flavour around a side that, gee, a match that, geez, history says there will be might be one of the poorest crowds we've seen at a footy game for some time. So mm. you fear for the attendance down there. These are the sorts of games as a player where you actually hear what's over the uh, fence because there's not enough there's not enough voices to muffle it out. Just those on the hill there <laughs> so down at Bloodstone. You can actually from so the ball's at the other end. You're standing at fullback. You'll hear everything. Hey, you, Lepper. Have you got an exa- have you got an example that comes to mind? Oh, I've got plenty. Yeah, I got I got plenty. I actually played the very last game at Victoria Park, and that was colourful. Um, oh yeah. Apart from the bottle that got thrown at me, but everything else that was said, it was quite interesting. So. Uh, and for the Suns, so yep. they've lost their two games after the halfway mark so far. They're, uh, they're getting examined as to whether they're making any progress at all. This is a portfolio you've been keeping since the opening week of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably different to most because I'm not hard on them because I don't think they're ready. Um, and I, I think they're still a couple of years away from developing their team to the maturity it needs. Um, and they've probably had injuries to the people that you you just, just don't want to. Your gun uh, recruit um, and also your gun ruckman um, that was starting to turn help turn the fortunes of your 
your team around. So I'm not overly critical of them. Um, their game styling, yeah, I'd, I'd like it to see it a little bit, a little bit more direct um, and less sort of that uncontested mark in the back half. We'll see what happens today. Give their forwards a bit more of an opportunity because they spend a lot of time marking the ball in the back half, and they don't. And, and it gives op- every time you do that, you give the opportunity for the opposition to, to get back in numbers, and then they've got a really young forward group that often have lots of numbers around them, and it's difficult for them to fight those battles. So. That's about the only thing from a game styling perspective. There's enough contested ball stuff for you to like around the contest, but um, but yeah, but really, it's a. I, I I just think it's going to be a year for them where they're just going to battle. Unfortunately, for, I look at it simply. I just think the Gold Coast haven't been able to retain players over their journey, so therefore yep. they haven't been able to build. When you look at the players and what they've become, if they you reinsert them back to the club they started in, this is a very very talented side and. Tony Cochran was on the record as saying that the go-home factor will be different this time around, but there's murmurings, Jared. There's murmurings that players want to go. Ben King isn't one of those. He's contracted until the end of 2022. But while his brother Max was signed to a new four-year deal, this is a player who hasn't been coaxed out of the starting gate on any talks over a new contract. Now, the Suns have wanted to start the ball rolling there, but Ben certainly saying, no, no, we won't get started on this. Let's just see how it all plays out, which is common sense, you would have thought. The Suns want to start the ball rolling, Jeno, but the player himself, unlike Max, just sitting tight for the moment up there. I agree with both conversations here because I don't think Gold Coast are in that window to to really look at a top eight spot for another year or two. When I hear Stuart Dew speak, I think, yep, this guy knows he's coaching, he knows he's football. But for me, it's a retention thing. So any time I've spent on the Gold Coast in terms of watching teams play and teams train, it's the only state in Australia where I go and watch a team or only city and think, gee, this is a hard environment to play footy in. Why? It can't be geographical, can it? Well, this is only my opinion. So I'll spend a week, um, you know, in a previous lifetime, a a week in every city watching a team train. And I just spent a week up there and it was just such a holiday mode. But I didn't feel that like that when I'm watching Brisbane train or Port Adelaide or all the Western Australian teams, but it just felt like a, a difficult place to, to train and play footy compared to the other states. So it's only a, a mm. small little snapshot. So for me, it's about the off-field stuff. And, and I'm really big. I want Tasmania to get a team. That's my favourite um, state in Australia. I love going down there. It's a great place to to watch football and to play down there. But when I hear Tony Cochran speak, I want to get his phone number and say, I'm in. Yeah. He's just so motivational. So I'm all, I feel like I'm all in on Gold Coast. And if he's the villain, even more so, I love the villain. So, you know, I really want to get behind Gold Coast and hope they have some success. Yeah, ink on contracts. That's it for them. If, yeah. if, if they go another cycle and lose the, the, the players which they've lost in the last eight years that are now sitting in other clubs and having success at other clubs, which a lot of them are at Richmond. Um, but... Yeah, they can't do that again because then the cycle starts again because what they've proven is no one goes up there by choice. So we have a draft because we force people basically around the country to play for a certain team to make it even. I wouldn't have played, I wouldn't have signed for the Brisbane Bears, I guarantee you, as a 17-year-old if there wasn't a draft in play. Yep. So it, what that does is it at least gives you an opportunity to keep your players, but that's all it does. Mm. And so you've got to do everything in your power now and, and look after them from, from a welfare perspective as well and a cultural perspective. Because um, I don't think you have to win to get the... the signatures on the contract it, it can be greater than that because if it's like if the players feel off the field it's, it feels like home and it feels like like we, we know that feeling that feeling of being at home the Gold Coast have to make those players feel like they're at home not pay them they've got to do both but but they've got that you can't underestimate that part of it and and often it, it's it's critical because footy clubs are different to any other job it's 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 you know, a lot of people go to work they come home and their families at family whereas footy club jobs are literally like another family 
So you need to make it that way. And the Gold Coast have to go out of their way and get the people to make it have that feel. Otherwise, they'll potentially... And, and players won't tell you everything. If you're doing well, they'll play, tell you 80%. So if they're saying, oh, we've got no retention issues, well, not, you're not getting any every bit of information, I can guarantee mm. you. Um, so you just got to make sure that all those things are done well. So hopefully the players have some sort of concept of being on trial today. So they have to live Tony Cochran's words, I think. You wouldn't want to be oblivious to it, I guess is my point, is being up on the Gold Coast. You wouldn't want to have missed the conversation of the week and how the president or the chairman went all in for you. Don't be listless this afternoon in Hobart. Don't mm. be, don't um, not put your body on the line and the like. I, this is one of those important moments where it's a player's responsibility to understand the circumstances mm. of a club and perform in line with that. Yeah, which, which when you look at their playing groups, you know, who, who would you say has grit? Like, you're talking about, that's what Tony Crockham came out this week, we want to be tough, we want to be gritty, we want to eke out a performance. Look, who, when you look at their list, who are the ones you go, geez, I'd love to have them by my side? That's interesting because usually you can talk about any other club and a lot of names come to mind. So I think Wits, but that's based on his leadership and Swallow just because he's an honest performer. Um uh, Ainsworth in the in the past, but there's Tuk, not a, Tuk Miller. Oh, Hugh, Miller because of his running capacity. Yeah, but Hugh Greenwood, Greenwood, Miller. But if, if you look at a lot of them, you're like, oh, well, Lockie, um, Lockie Weller, um, Sexton. Um, we still don't know enough about Anderson. Obviously, Rao looks like he's going to be a, a tough player. But um, Bose, Ellis. You know, you, there's a lot of guys there. You go, are they? Are they? You look at St Kilda's win last night and how they won that. Um, do they have that style of play to eke out the performance you're talking about that Tony Cockrett wants, Jared? Are they the players that can deliver it? Because you can say that, but if you put on people out in the field that can't do those sorts yep. of things, well, you're going to struggle to get that result. And they get Rory Atkins in. So upwards four years, in between four and $500,000 a season, he can't even get a game for Gold Coast, what's, Rory Atkins. What's really interesting about your comment, mm. Jared, is usually players and coaches don't love hearing from the CEOs or the presidents, but in this case with Cochrane, I found his stuff really inspiring yep. and, and it can filter through and be a positive for the playing group to just know someone's in your corner so strong and has so much uh, um, emotion and passionate about winning. Robert Harvey's about to coach his first game. So champion of the game, Hall of Famer, two-time Brownlow medalist, a coaching apprenticeship that dates back to 2009. He gets nine games. I don't think he's getting the Collingwood job, but this is his moment to put himself forward, well-regarded and revered as a player, obviously, but well-regarded as a coach without breaking through to be at the front end of conversations. If you were, if you were Robert Harvey approaching this period, what would you have in your mind, Lepper? How do you, it's not the easiest period to navigate. No, because it's a long period of time as well. It's it's you know it's a lot of games to go as well. So you you've got to. It's not just three games where you're just going to say, well, "I'm just going to be a good bloke for three weeks and not worry about game styling." And hopefully, just energy gets us through. It's too long for just yeah. putting energy, and you've got to put some sort of strategy in as well behind that. But one thing, uh, Robert Harvey will probably utilise a lot of the stuff they're already doing because he's been a part of those decisions anyway. You'd think, unless Nathan Buckley was like, "No, nah, I'm making all the decisions." You'd think he'd have a very similar approach. I'd be one thing I'm interested to see is their ball movement, how much, whether because there was an adaptation a few weeks ago, wasn't there, Craig? Yeah. On on a lot of a lot of the way they're moving the ball, is he going to continue to do that? Is he going to go back? Is he going to go more long down the line? I'm I'm really intrigued in that part of the game. The defensive stuff's always been okay, but that's the one thing I'm intrigued to see what he does. Yeah, I think ball movement's the thing that will be the most noticeable, and and like anything, um, it's released the pressure. So the conversation around Collingwood was they wanted to hear some new voices and some new ideas, or coming out of 
uh, the Buckley conversation. So for me, that automatically just frees up the playing group. And we heard Toby Green talk uh, on your show during the week, Jared, that um, inside 70 stuff is hard to coach. It's based on instinct. So I think when you get a new coach in, and David Teague did it when he took over uh, Carlton, uh, Reshaw did it at North Melbourne, it just automatically frees up the group in terms of their offensive stuff. So I think that's where we'll see the biggest difference. But it's just such an exciting opportunity. And on your point, it usually or often is that two or three weeks stint. So nine weeks would be just so exciting for him because he actually does get to mould. That's enough time to start moulding the team into the way you want your footy club and your footy players to play. It's interesting you said he won't get the job, right? Because um, we would have said that about David Teague at Carlton. Oh, he's just going to fill in until Michael Voss comes in or whoever the, the flavour of the time was there. So it, it, uh, what this one thing it does is the senior coaching role is it exposes people in the background to the people, to the media, to their fans. Go, he actually can talk. He actually has got a brain. He actually does know what he's doing. And then it does change opinion. So but I'm interested to see. Maybe the, the common thought is he won't do it, but I'll be, I'll hopefully he, he puts in a really impressive performance, not just on the field, but off the field as well. And then when you often build faith in all aspects of the footy community, you never know. You yep. just never know. So Collingwood seems too far down the path of the desperate need for change to go with someone who's been yep. there long term. He absolutely can put himself at the forefront of, of something else. The yes. other conversations, yeah. I yeah. think. So I actually think, um, for all that you'll look at, the public side of it matters as much as anything, mm. and that might be unfair. But there are other boards who are watching Robert Harvey and going, "Could we see that?" Yeah. And all they'll see is how he presents publicly. Yeah. They'll get, they'll know whether Collingwood win or lose. I don't think they'll really understand why they win or lose because they've won their last two on the way to Harvey taking over. But does he have the presence, the gravitas of a senior coach to be our? figurehead. Yep. I actually think that's the hardest part of the brief to fill and probably the one that he will get that will determine whether he is at the pointy end of considerations for a senior job. Yeah, it's Lee Matthews always said, he said, leper, perception's reality. <laughs> and, and that's true in footy because that's all you see is the perception of you see or the snippet on the screen or whatever it is and that's your reality and that's what you go on half the time. So he's right. So on that point, it's really important that he's got the coaches around him to be able to delegate. You've, you've seen, you know, and I'm feeling the same thing a year or two in the media, it really changes your perception of how you would coach a football club and you've just got a better understanding of how this whole cycle works. So if he needs to um, strengthen his presence in terms of the football public, then internally you need to be able to, because that, that takes some time, Jared. So internally you need some really strong assistant coaches that you can delegate game style and strategy and craft to. Is he a bench coach or is he up on the box? What do you reckon he, he's going to do? He, That's looks, gonna... he looks like a box coach. He's a box guy, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think when you're on the bench, you need, you know, you're talking about Fagan. Goodwin's very touchy-feely, so you need those sort of energy-type coaches, the really um, yeah. strong connecting coaches, whereas uh, what I perceive of Rob Harvey is a little bit more... A uh, little quieter, and yep. those sort of quieter, calmer people in a coach's box can work really well, provided you've got good strategy and advice around you. So those are the two afternoon games, North Melbourne and the Suns, Collingwood and the Dockers, all for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Sean Burgoyne, the COVID chaos, we'll all we'll do with that next crunch time. 
For the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships, stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, available at selected restaurants. Crunch time in round 15 with the winners, the Lions and the Saints so far. What does all that mean for the Tigers and the Cats? Last year's grand finalist has occupied our minds for a good period of time. Collingwood and Fremantle, North Melbourne and the Suns this afternoon. And then it really does get interesting. Port Adelaide and Sydney followed by Essendon and Melbourne in a loaded late part of Saturday. Jared Waitley, Sam Edmund, Justin Lepich and Craig Jennings with you this Saturday. Um, the COVID chaos, so a masterful job to try to orchestrate all of this, keep the competition going pretty well as scheduled, notwithstanding that the fixture arrived 25 hours before the opening bounce and we don't have next week's fixture at the moment. Um, had the clusters in Sydney and Melbourne lined up and happened at the same time, we would have been cast. That New South Wales border with Victorian teams being able to escape there and now New South Wales teams being able to come here, had they hit at the same time, we would be in a in a recess and probably a relatively lengthy recess. Would have been a world of hurt, wouldn't it? Thankfully, that hasn't, well, yet, hasn't come to pass. And yet, as you say, we still wait for round 16, which I've said this probably 10 times, Jerry, but we expect to hear today <laughs> the round 16 fixture, given we've got a game on a Thursday night coming up. And I'm sure a lot of people listening uh, this afternoon just wanting to know when their side's playing and when they're going to be able to get tickets. It's good to have 85% at games in Melbourne next weekend, which is great. So, with that in mind, we've got a curious Thursday night fixture coming up, Jared. It's Gold Coast for all their, um, I guess, vulnerabilities. And Richmond, after what we just saw last night, playing on a Thursday night at Metricon Stadium. Why? Because, quite frankly, the AFL didn't really have any other choice. So we've got a Gold Coast Suns v Richmond game on a Thursday night. The big game next week will be Geelong and Essendon. Friday night, um, if the Bombers continue on the path we think they're on, we love the, what they're doing. They're scoring. Geelong, we know, are quality um, despite the loss to, to Brisbane. So, And then I've just tried to piece together the rest yep. of the fixture, Jared. So Melbourne and GWS at the MCG on a Saturday afternoon. Fremantle and Carlton late Saturday afternoon in Perth. Hawthorne and Port Adelaide will be a big game because it'll be Sean Burgoyne's 400th game against his old side. It'll be a big primetime affair on Channel 7. That one at Marvel Stadium Saturday uh, night. St Kilda and Collingwood is Sunday mid-afternoon, I believe. Sydney are going to play a home game at GMHBA Stadium against West Coast. They wanted to take the Eagles down there. So they'll play them there on a Sunday, it would seem. Late Sunday as well, 4.40. Uh, this time slot no one really wants is the Western Bulldogs and North Melbourne at uh, at Marvel as well. And then that just leaves Brisbane and the Adelaide Crows, Jared. Now, um, just the process of elimination on that would appear to have that on a Saturday as well. But we await confirmation of that and all the other ones this afternoon. So that'll either be the double-up afternoon game or the double-up night game. They yeah. usually have double-up afternoon. They do. It might be a double-up Saturday night, actually. Yep. It might be Brisbane-Adelaide on the Saturday night as well, alongside Hawthorne and Port Adelaide. So that might be the Fox fixture, Brisbane-Adelaide. And Channel 7 will um, we'll have the uh, Sean Burgoyne's Hugely uh, significant 400th. For the Sydney teams, so we sort of got to live vicariously a bit. So the 4.45 message, get to the airport to catch the 8 o'clock flight, pack for at least two weeks, out now. Mm. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? It's like a little adventure. It's like, oh, you're going on a holiday right now. But uh, oh, it's, I guess they didn't have to put up with as much as the, the rest of us last year, did they? Uh, they? They did a lot of... In and out early, didn't they, the Swans and Giants? And then 
had to base themselves in a few different places. But yeah, look, as long as it stays in a couple of weeks, I think any club can handle it and, and get through it. It's just when it goes past the months and months and months. So we just, I guess they'll be watching those cases go up around Sydney and be hoping they just drop and drop and drop quickly. From a personal point of view, I am enjoying GWS being in town. So it's great for them in terms of an opportunity yeah. for those that haven't experienced the Melbourne football cycle. But it's been great to see Toby Green pop up on your show and, and other shows and yeah. learning more about them. And they say, look, from a coaching point of view, I love listening to other coaches more <laughs> often or uh, other players. And they'll say something and I think, oh, I'll put that in the coaching toolbox. I really like that. And Toby Green had some rippers on Thursday, Jared. So I I'm, I'm really happy they're in town. I hope they enjoy it and make the most of it. And like you say, uh, as a footy club, you treat it as an adventure. Like when we played state footy, Leper, you'd go away for a week or two and, you know, they're re- really good fun. So as long as it's not too extended, uh, get together, have a good good time, enjoy each other's company, get some wins on the board and you go back and you've set your season right up. So it is big for the Giants as they can replace Richmond in the eight if they beat Hawthorne. Uh, tomorrow afternoon so that typically would have been at giant stadium but moved to the mcg and then they get melbourne in the tougher encounter the week after so uh, having their home fixture transplanted is at home against hawthorne you go they'll win at the mcg with the hawks sort of plowing their way back into something much more formidable uh, it becomes an interesting fixture I, i think this is a classic um it's like eating vegetables. It's it, it, it may <laughs> not go. it may not taste good now, but it could be better for you in the end. What's going on with you? At the I've, moment I've, with your food? Oh, just I don't know. I'm just running out of analogies. I'm just, just making stuff up now. But it, it's a, playing at the MCG for them is going to be great for September. Yeah. This is what I mean. It's not going to be great tomorrow because they may need this win more than they worry about the long term. But I think they'll beat Hawthorne, but they'll beat them at a ground and hopefully have a gritty win and go, we just won a good game at the G because we want to be back here and playing in September. They might finish 7th or 8th and have to play a Richmond at the G. So this is, I think they should take any op. And we don't, we don't put them there. The AFL don't put them on the G all too often. So they should take any, all these opportunities for the benefit of it, not worry about Jesus, a potential home game loss. They should um, focus. I think they should beat them if they play at their best footy anyway against yep. Hawthorne. But the, the, I think the benefits playing here far outweigh the negatives. Yep. The training and the session. vegetable things are a really important part of it as well. <laughs> Obviously, each <laughs> vegetable's kids. Bit of Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I like that one. Training at the G, playing at the G, two weeks running. Um, Sean Burgoyne's going to be the medical sub for game 399. Oh. Well, well, maybe they do that this week, and then the 400th he runs out with all the bells and whistles on uh, prime time Saturday night against Port Adelaide. So, yeah, rest him up now, Jared, for the big one next weekend. Best laid plans. Sean Higgins had that plan oh, well. a week ago, didn't he? He was in the game after five minutes. Indeed. As we said, he's every man who's ever been called into work on their day off, which was less than ideal. I just wonder where Sean Higgins is at too, by the way. Do they actually need to give him that week off and ensure that he has that week off and maybe play Quentin Arkell and, and freshen up Sean Higgins? It was awfully fumbly, wasn't he, up there at the, at the Gabber on Thursday? Mm. So the COVID scenario continues to play out. and We uh, await the formalisation of the fixture that Sam's given you a, a pretty good indication of. Uh, the Bulldogs are over doing quarantine in the West, so they've had the full week there, uh, which I wouldn't envy them. They had trivia nights and the like to yep. pass the time. I don't know if Bevo brought the guitar, though. No word on that. I think he's left it at home, which is a great shame. But, um, yeah, the, the challenge in keeping players for a full week, and I know they've had worse last year, of course, but being sucked into that now um, when it came really late for that football club, when the promise was for a holiday period and time with their wives and partners and kids is a real kick in the guts. The challenge for the coaching team to keep them fresh 
and motivated and morale high, I imagine Leopard would be a, a big challenge. Yeah, it is. And, and the protocols over there are a little bit more stricter than they are for the Giants travelling here. So you think about that. It's it's how you have to live your week. Sometimes you get a little bit more freedom. You actually can get through a little bit easier. So they're travelling to a place that has just a few more restrictions than most, most others as well. So it is a difficult when you get some of the things that some of the luxuries taken away from you. But again, this is a great test for them. You know, these are the things you need to overcome to be good at the end of the season. So um, whilst it's not fair on them, I guess, in a lot of ways, um, it's something you just have to deal with. It's where the coaching message is so important because you don't want to lose a game before you've started just through, you know, throwing some pity parties, do you? So you've got to really send that message of anywhere, anytime and embrace it. And these are the things that Mm. it takes to win a premiership at this level. Mm. The Eagles, they're getting the troops back. So the ins were Tim Kelly... Jeremy McGovern, Brad Shepard, Luke Shuey, Jack Petricelli. Yeah, that's good. So yeah. they've hung in there and given themselves a chance with those wins against Carlton and then against Richmond, and they're restocked the other side of the bye. That's terrific on paper, isn't it, when you see that? The great challenge is when you get a lot of players back at the same period of time. You might have five or six just getting knocking the rust out, which, you know, that, that can be a potential danger um, of the game is you have a lot of guys in the same boat but I can't see that being an issue this week but it has been an issue for teams in the past that's for sure um, and they're playing a pretty good pretty good team um, so if you haven't got your running game up and going and you're not cherry ripe for a game against the doggies um, yeah they'll, they'll, they'll show you a thing or two yeah it's an important point though Leopard because it does distract you in the coach's box in a sense because you are monitoring players game time and you know their pressure factors and all these sort of things so it does impact and the other conversation that um, we hear a lot about now in terms of um, performance is cohesion and the value of the same players running around every single week with cohesion and connecting together and understanding the way each other plays. So you bring four or five in, um, what's that, 20 30% of, of your team has changed, but the experience of them should hold them in, in good stead so they should be as seamless as uh, any team possible. It's so, a big game for the Dogs, Jared. sorry. Big yeah, game. It They've is. lost two of their last three. There's been some some high-quality opposition there. They've lost to Melbourne and Geelong and had that win against Fremantle sandwiched in between, but lose this one. That's three of their last four. I mean, I know they're second on the table and have been a an absolute terror strength throughout the season, but it, it can slip away from you pretty quickly in, in the race for the for the top four, so it's a big game for them. And they've got they have notionally winning winning games in the aftermath of it, but I played yeah. last week is what will the toll of this be? It's a, it's really interesting. And do the Eagles have a role to play? So if you restock and you beat the Bulldogs and then presumably get better from here, so they went from a team who looks the goods early to I think we most of us gave up on them. Mm. Sort of this, this is not happening. And then they've pegged their way back while undermanned. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing them over the next three weeks just to see if they are a team who can who can have a big say in it from here. Well, they've got Sydney, North Melbourne, Adelaide to come. West dogs. Coast. And then, oh, the Dogs first. And then Sydney, Adelaide and, and North Melbourne. Then St Kilda and Collingwood after that. So. Yeah. Jared, the West Coast, they are the Rolexes. So to get away from some food <laughs> and analogies, Lepper, they're pre- precise and efficient. And Adam Simpson's just such a great match day and strategic coach. So, you know, they'll balance out their season. They'll have good formulas uh, coming into the back end. They're a filet mignon, aren't they? <laughs> uh, well, they're actually, um, their problem is a bit of the Deliveroo stuff. They just struggle <laughs> on the road a little, don't yeah, they? They get a little bit cold nice. on the road. That's their, what's their one thing they've got to knock over, I think. I like yeah. that. The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. 
On crunch time, the Harley Heaven rev up for Harley Heaven, the home of Harley Davidson. Sometimes used to lift a depleted and depressing lineup, sometimes just at the pointy end. So, this is for Essendon because opportunity gapes oh. tonight, doesn't it? Is they are feeling good about themselves and they run into a Melbourne side who have, have sat on top of the ladder the whole way through. How, how bullish should the Bombers feel as they take on this challenge? They should feel good, shouldn't they? I mean, one thing, if you if you go back, Melbourne haven't been beaten a lot, but there's a couple of glimpses if you play fast, dynamic corridor footy against them, which is what Essendon do, you can get some results down the end of the field. So they should know their best offensively is good enough. The, the challenge is going to be the Melbourne strangle, and they've done it from 90% of their games. And can they surpass that? Can they go half a quarter and the game's just stagnated and they're not scoring and it's not exciting and Melbourne's sort of almost depressing them into a yeah. you know a mistake or two? That's going to be their challenge when those moments hit. Not so much whether uh, I don't know if Melbourne's going to let them have the luxuries that Hawthorne say did the week before. It's a strength v strength game, isn't it? Yeah. So you talk about Essendon and their attacking strength and Melbourne's defensive strength. And usually when you get into these games, you're back the defensive team. But uh, what I would say is that Melbourne checklist is you know. When teams start beating teams, even if it's just for a quarter, you start pulling out little strategies that you can implement. And, you know, the key ones, Gorn hitting between 12 and 2 o'clock so that they can't launch out of that centre bounce um, at that 12 o'clock attacking side very easily. Uh, (laughs) We're both good friends with Jakey Lever, so we don't like saying it, but it's the match-up on Lever and and trying to keep him pretty busy. So there's a few little things tactically that you can do that don't disrupt your own game style. So they should give a good account of themselves, Essendon. And how good was Sammy Drake? coming back. Mm. Draper v Gorn is what I'm really looking forward to here. The young buck against the Wiley old bull. That'll be a great matchup as well. There's a lot to recommend yeah. tonight. It's just to see Melbourne, they've had their breather. They looked like they needed their breather. As Collingwood planned really well against them and it meant more to them that day. Is have your breather and plant your flag. There's the opportunity to go two games clear on top of the ladder if circumstances fall their way. Yeah, they want to keep showing us that they're the real deal, don't they, Melbourne? They don't want to give us any indication that that they're not. And I think these are the sorts of game against good opposition. Um, Essendon aren't great opposition yet, but they're good opposition, um, an up-and-coming opposition. You've got to still be able to dampen their spirits and get the job done. So I, I, they just have to. I wouldn't surprise me if Essendon got the job done, though. It wouldn't surprise me at all because um, their best is dynamic and it's very good. But... The, the, as you said, the, the common thought is that the team that strangles the best tends to win the game, and that's what Melbourne is. So when you said that, I start visualising that Essendon really need to blow them off the park right. in terms of their speed. You know, that's the, the one thing I think they can really get. They can't f- yeah, they can't fumble under pressure. They can't do any of those. Sort of, everything has to be one touch, clean, through, and decisive to beat that defence, Melbourne's defence. You can't you can't give them two or three chances. Yeah, I, I love identifying big occasion players, so I can't wait to see how players like Parrish perform in this type of game where... You know, anyone can play well when, you know, you're playing a bottom team or you're five goals up or whatever. But in these big moments, what is what are players like Darcy Parrish going to produce? Bit of a tweak for the Ds too. So Jack Viney comes back for the first time since I think round six. And Sam Wiedemann goes out, but Ben Brown doesn't come back in. So mm. they've gone back to that Tom McDonald and uh, Bailey Fritch and the small sort of set up inside 50 that they started the season so well with. And that's defensive stuff again, mm. even though they're forward mm. line players. That's about stocking up your forward line players with players that can defend first. And then Port Adelaide and Sydney. So this is fifth versus sixth. Um, Sydney, uh, so they're notionally the vulnerable team. Uh, their young talent either has been absent or gassed. They've had to freshen up and they desperately needed that clearly after the Hawthorne game. Port 
if they're going to make a run at the top four, they have to be beating Sydney at Adelaide Oval. Yeah, it's funny. This is the classic game for me that Sydney tend to win. You know, they they often lose games that they should win and then they win games when you just least expect it. That's just always been the swans for me over a long period of time. They tend to be really good at marshalling the troops, getting a travel away game, have a gritty performance and really dampen the opposition. Again, it wouldn't surprise me that they're able to get over the top of Port Adelaide, even though it goes against the trend of their season. We all see them dipping. We all start to... But strong long by the head, they just have a good ability at times just to pop back up when you don't... You wouldn't be underestimating Sydney. I know we, we Port Adelaide need to win this game, but I wouldn't be underestimating Sydney at and all. If, and if they do get up, it's three for three, Jared, for teams who have gone via the cricket nets. They're yes. in the cricket nets <laughs> at the moment. The Swannies rolling the arm over, sleeping on the blow-up mattresses, finding any little nook of darkness they can. Eight McConus. Oh, eight my goodness. Yeah, it was eight for, uh, for Jeremy Cameron. I think he had eight instant coffees. Can you believe that? Uh, incredible. So I hope someone's rolling the arm over for the Swans because Isaac Smith bowled something like 50 overs, I think, while the Cats were waiting to play. I'll tell you what, teams love a routine and a formula for winning. So if that happens, everybody would be looking for a local <laughs> cricket pitch. Yeah, I can't see that one catching on, Jeno. I can't see that one <laughs> catching on. I have some questions to finish with. Mm-hmm. So bit of forecasting, which we'll put away and use against you at a later date. Just to be fair about that. <laughs> I feel like this is a conversation about having my wife and she goes, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> so flinch reactions. And you actually, you can play along with this if, as we go as well. We'll take some calls in a, in a, few, mo- in a few minutes time. The open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six for Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile phones. Okay, so I'm going to go around the table. It really is just a flinch reaction. Okay. okay? And don't ponder it too much. Just give me a gut reaction. Grand final parade. Can you see Richmond players in the cars? No. No. Nope. Will preliminary final night, will Sam Wiedemann or Ben Brown be in Melbourne's forward line? Nope. No. Brown. Will Patrick Cripps ever be pictured with the Premiership Cup on the dais? Jeez, Jared. Six years. Glass half full, yes. No. Maybe. Nice. Oh, splinters. <laughs> yeah, someone had to go maybe at some point. You can't all tip into it. If there's a change to the eight, say there is a change to the eight, okay? There is a change to the eight. Is it Giants, Essendon, Freo, or St Kilda? Essendon. Giants with players to come back. Giants. Is Stuart at round one, 2022, is Stuart due the Suns coach? No. Yes. Oh, that's an unfair question. <laughs> yes. Is Alistair Clarkson the Hawthorne coach? Oh, yeah. Yes. No. Is David Teague the Carlton coach? Oh, jeez. Uh, I've said two no, so I better balance that. I'll say a yes. Yep. Yep. Who's in Collingwood's coach's box? You're pointing at me, Jared. Justin Leverage. That's Jay it. Leverage. That was the answer. I pointed at Justin Leverage. That was the answer. <laughs> that, was all, that questionnaire was all leading to yeah, that Is moment. that what the whole thing was about? <laughs> it was all a bit of a The setup. whole garden path. That has been crunch time for round 15. Give us a shout now. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Where do you sit on some of those issues as they present to us? Are the Tigers done out of last night? Could the Saints be more than you imagined? What happens today with Robert Harvey leading Collingwood for the first time? And will the Roos get hold of the Suns in Hobart? Crunch time for the Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealership stock. Here's some tips for maintaining your Trex deck. Um, Occasionally wash it with some soapy water or a pressure cleaner. Trex composite decking is low maintenance. 
and won't fade, splinter or warp. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Your new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.